few weeks, we've been looking at a book called The God Lab, um, which basically is about seeking to understand what God is like and trying to figure out how we can meet God in everyday life. It's based around a series of statements made by Jesus at the beginning of his teaching, and these statements are known as the Beatitudes. And these are essentially a list of blessings, which you can find in Matthew chapter 5. So, what the God Lab does is look at these sayings as springboards into exploring in a doable, practical way the concept of who God is and how, if possible, we can draw closer to him. The author of the God Lab, Roger Bretherton, calls these explorations spiritual experiments. Now this term might sound a little bit odd, um, but really all it's talking about is bringing spirituality back down to earth. Stripping it right back down to the profoundly simple stuff that can be made doable in the everyday moments of our lives. And as we play about it and test out different attitudes, such as the one Jesus, such as the ones Jesus lists, as we try on different lenses through which we can view our world, it's a kind of experimentation. So we'll come back to this idea of the experiment later. First of all, we need to look at the list of blessings Jesus gives. There are eight of them, and the one that we're going to focus on today is the fourth one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I don't know what your gut reaction to this blessing is, but if I'm completely honest, my reaction has been a bit deadpan. In the whole list of Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the peacemakers and the persecuted. This one about righteousness is a bit too wordy. And somehow it seems to have less impact. Certainly for me, it's a bit easier to skim over this blessing and to go for the more dramatic ones. It's something that we sort of expect to be blessed by Jesus, because righteousness seems an obvious thing to commend. Unlike mourning or meekness, they throw us off more. And also, when it comes to the consequence of this attitude, the promise that they shall be satisfied, it isn't quite as epic as the consequences that follow the other attitudes commended by Jesus in the list of eight. The consequences which are like seeing God, inheriting the earth and the kingdom of heaven, being satisfied is a bit of an anti or is it? <laughs> um, so, let's start by figuring out what on earth righteousness is. So, you have a minute to chat on your tables about what you think righteousness is, what associations it brings to mind, and I want you to try and figure out how righteousness and being satisfied link together. So that is a bunch of quite tricky questions for a minute, but I believe in you. You've got a minute. Go. Okay. Your minute's up. 
couldn't figure that out now. Still. <laughs> no, 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 it's not at all. Okay, but hold those thoughts. Um, we're gonna we're gonna try and figure it all out together. So I reckon um, that we can start to pin down what righteousness is if we go back to the first of the Beatitudes, if we step back onto square one on this list of blessings, and then we work our way back through to righteousness. So, um, just as Josh and Pippa have said in previous weeks, which you should definitely listen to if you want a little bit more clarity on this one as well, because um, they're great. Um, so, just as Josh and Pippa have said in previous weeks, there's something really powerfully straightforward and really simple to be found in each of the Beatitudes. As we journey through each blessing, one by one, a transformation takes place. Sounds dramatic, but genuinely, we can't help, as we go from one to the next, to be lured out of spiritual stagnation. As we take on one attitude, we find the next growing in us. So we start with the blessing of the poor in spirit, or, as the God lad calls it, openness, like a willingness to meet with God. And then it breeds a longing to kind of share our disappointments with a God who comforts us, to mourn the things that we've lost, and to be comforted in a way that no one else can comfort us. And that moves on to, to an attitude of meekness, which is just a sense of being grounded, of knowing our place in the world, of knowing who we are right now. And then we come to righteousness. The first three attitudes that Jesus points to and blesses are ones that accept who and where we are right now. They're attitudes which are more about just being. However, this next one asks, where are you going? The incline gets much steeper in the journey throughout the Beatitudes as Jesus, at the point of blessing number four, issues a challenge to move forward towards righteousness, and bring us, bring, he brings us to the question of who are you becoming? When you were chatting on your tables, I'm sure many of you talked about righteousness as like a character trait. Perhaps some of you looked at it as being a good person, and yet that's the first kind of tiny little element of it. Um, righteousness to an extent is just doing what is right. Um, 1 John chapter 3 verse 7, for example, says, He who does what is right is righteous. <laughs> so that's quite obvious. Um, <laughs> that's not the end of the talk, though. Um, <laughs> do it. No, um, so it is, but it's more complicated than this. Um, there is so much more to righteousness than just that. Um, God is the ultimate in righteousness. He is absolutely good and just and loving. And we're told to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So righteousness is up there as far as God is concerned. Paul in 2 Timothy goes on about this crown of righteousness which God awards to all who long for God's appearing. Righteousness is being right before God. It's being right in our relationship with God. Righteousness is part of who God is. And because we're made in his image, we are called to live out this image of God. 
to live as the people that we were created to be. So that's sort of the first bit of what righteousness is. However, Jesus, when he's saying all the Beatitudes, he's talking to a bunch of people who've been striving to be good and righteous their whole lives. People whose ancestors had strived to be righteous. If it was just about fulfilling a certain standard of morality, then he was almost wasting his breath because they already knew about that. Jesus, in gesturing towards righteousness, was talking about faith. Not just faith that God exists, but faith that God will do what he says he'll do. Faith that God will fulfill his promises. And this idea goes right back to Genesis 15, when Abraham is called righteous because he believes God when God promises him that he'll be the father of many nations. Abraham's faith that God would make him the person he was created to be is credited to Abraham as righteousness. Being right before God is about throwing everything into trusting him. Putting all your eggs in his basket, even if it costs you and it calls you to move into a new way of living, a way of living out your God-created identity and ridding yourself of the stuff which clouds God's image in you. Abraham's righteousness through faith is recalled time and time again in the Bible. It's, it's a really big deal. So in, in Romans 4, Paul talks about it, and I think this, this, it just hits it on the head, really. It's, it says that against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Those words were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him. And this is how satisfaction comes in. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They're satisfied that God will fulfill his promises. They're satisfied that God is enough. They're satisfied that they're heading towards living out fully their God-created identity, which isn't about becoming someone else, but about becoming more ourselves, more like we were created to be. So, that's righteousness and that's satisfaction. And there's... There's literally there's hours on this stuff. There's way more we could go into. But let's just strip it back for a second and get back to the blessing. Jesus blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He tells us that satisfaction comes from hunger. So, all of a sudden, it's not about being righteous. It's about being hungry for it. <laughs> Believing that we're totally righteous, which hopefully isn't a widespread belief in this room. <laughs> no offence. Um, or believing that we've got this righteousness thing down isn't really getting the point. That is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when we're satisfied by how much better we're doing at this life thing than the person sat next to us. 
And that's definitely not what Jesus blesses. That's the opposite of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Martin Luther said, This life is therefore not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. It's not health, but healing. It's not being, but becoming. This life is not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing towards it. The process is not yet finished, but is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not gleam in glory, but all is being purified. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is to look at where we are and who we are now, and then to look towards where we want to go and who we want to become. Inevitably, we look towards becoming better people. We long to feel at home in our own skin and to discover what our purpose is and to ultimately become the people that we're created to be. <coughs> those who are on a journey with Jesus, those who are following him, grow hungry and thirsty on the way. They grow hungry to be right with him, whatever the cost. And so the main question that I want to ask you today is, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Or are you just a bit peckish? where you are. And I think that's where that hunger thing comes in. 
I've kind of had a taste, a taste of what it's like to be hungry for God. Just little snippets of it. And from that, God was like, come on, you need to be fully hungry. You can't just nibble at this. So maybe you, you just want to know how you can get hungry. Maybe you're like, oh, this sounds really good, but I'm just not, I'm just not there. I'm just not hungry. How, how do you get there? I have another story for you. Um, so this is something that I, I'm always working through. I think it's something that we maybe should all be kind of working through, is, is how do we stay hungry? How do we maintain that? And, and for me, one of the things that kind of encapsulates that is the summer just before I started doing student work, or youth work, as James calls it. Um, <laughs> sorry, James. Um, so... Um, this summer um, was brilliant and I went to two really Christian conferences and I went to Barcelona and things and it was great. But what really characterised the summer for me was actually boredom. Boredom with God. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, like really, like it was, it was, I went through a time of really feeling very apathetic actually. Not hungry. So actually the dissatisfaction, there was a dissatisfaction in the fact that I wasn't hungry. I'm like, where is it? I've gone to these conferences and I've got this buzz and it's not lasting. And I'm just about to do a year of church work. Oh my word. How am I going to do this when I actually find God a little bit boring at the minute? I'm kind of like, yeah, I get it. Mm. And all it took actually, and it, all it is still taking for me, is to confess. And to surrender to God. After you've sat with the feeling of mourning, the crumbling of your expectations. After you've sat with the feeling of, this is who I am. This is where I am at quarter to five on a Sunday. After you've kind of sat with that feeling and that reality, you've got to say, God, take me forward. I'm all yours because actually the rules which I've crafted to live my life by don't fit in this new season. They don't fit in this time of transition. And I need, to, I need to either rework them and come up with new rules, but I know I'm going to end up in this place again. So, this idea of surrender, of asking God to do what he needs to do to make you the person you're meant to be, is embodied in confession. It's saying to God, I'm not there yet. I know I'm not there yet, but I know that there's more. I know that there must be more. There has to be more. And this idea of confession is an ancient discipline, and it's got a bit of a bad rep, um, I think. It's, it's kind of associated with feeling guilty and feeling shameful, but actually it drives out guilt. It pours the light in on guilt and dispels it. It's not about that at all. It's not about looking at a life and looking at the things that you keep getting wrong and feeling really bad about it. It's not that. It's about getting rid of that. And confession is a practical way of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We got there. We got there in the end. Um, so yeah, with confession, it's about looking at where we are now. Looking at the stuff that we do and how we live our lives. How we try to fill that void where the hunger is, I guess. <laughs> where we've tried to kind of satisfy ourselves. Looking at where we are now. Exactly where you are. Your identity is not in, actually, 
who you are on a Sunday and who you are in your cell group or who you are in your worst moments or your best moments. It's who you are right now. And then confession also looks at who we want to become. It recognises the chasm between the two. And it starts building a path towards that righteousness. And confession is the experiment which accompanies this beatitude about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So we're just going to go through that now. Um, it's going to take a couple of minutes. It's a very thinky one. It's a very reflective one. But I'm just going to talk us through it. Um, so I really encourage you just to, just to let go of inhibitions. No one is watching. Even I won't be watching. Um, I'm very short-sighted. And, um, <laughs> and um, we're just going to talk it through now. I, I really, really encourage you to engage with this. So I just need to find the book. Just take a minute to just be alone and just close your eyes. Identify some area of your life where you are dissatisfied with yourself. Somewhere where you feel you let yourself down. And you don't do as well as you should. An area where you don't live up to being the person you think you should be. And it can be anything. Just keep thinking about that and then invite God to join you in that thinking. Allow yourself to imagine what you would be like if you outgrew or improved this problematic tendency in your life. Who would you have to be for this pattern of behaviour to disappear? Just get a clear picture of what this better version of yourself would look like. a prayer to God, inviting him to get involved in bringing about this better self. Ask him to do whatever needs to be done in your life to make you the person you're meant to be. You might want to say something like, Father, do whatever you need to do to make me the person you need me to be. And then you might want to confess to God that this unsatisfactory pattern or tendency in you falls short of who you're meant to be. And it doesn't belong to the person you're becoming. To confess is to acknowledge that you're missing the mark. And then having confessed, notice any changes in how you feel. Just spend a few moments now 
just enjoying the idea that God has met you, that you've been accepted as you are, and that he is working with you to become the person 